So the other day I was driving around with my kids and they asked me this question, Dad, how do we know whether it's New Year's Day or not? And so as I got around to what do you mean by that, uh, what they meant by that is not the calendar or your smartphone. What they meant by that is kind of, is this something that happens out there in the sky, in the world, in the universe that kind of lets you know that the one year is gone and the other year has come? And so I kind of had to explain that on one hand, there is some truth to the fact that we get our time and our seasons and our days and our years from very smart people who for hundreds and thousands of years have been observing the movements of the stars and the earth's rotation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how we get so much of what we call time. But on the other hand, our calendar is completely arbitrary. I mean, the 1st of January could have been at any stage. Uh, there's nothing cosmic that happens when the new year ticks over. And I know that some of us kind of wish that would happen, right? Because we're a few days away. But I hate to tell you, there's no like giant cosmic reset button that takes all your aching bones and all your aching hearts and just kind of gives you fresh batteries and fresh perspective. Life's got this annoying habit of just carrying on, carrying on. And whatever you are carrying, you just need to carry on carrying because life doesn't just reset for you in a few days' time. However, we have in our calendar, especially here in South Africa, created a bit of space, often between Christmas going into the new year, where maybe some of you have been able to slow down enough to notice, to notice things, to notice yourself, notice God, notice your heart, notice what's going on and, and maybe just have a bit of a review as well as try and start to evaluate what kinds of things need to change as you go forward into the next year. But as I just consider myself and, and you, I would bet that for most of you, there or other massive parts of your life, or at least some parts of your life that are wearing you down. And maybe some of them are pretty easy to discard and just drop, and that seems to be the average advice in Facebook, is if there's an annoying person in your life, just drop them, which I'm not always convinced is the best advice. But maybe the thing that's wearing you down is not so easy to, to drop. Maybe it's your job. And maybe you're like, I don't know if I can start a whole new year again in this situation. Maybe it's the fact that you don't have a job and that is causing you such incredible anxiety. Maybe it is your family. Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it is your kids or maybe it's your parents that are wearing you down legitimately. And whatever the reason, I'm sure that all of us can identify with aspects of our lives that are feeling so tired and we kind of wish there was a way that we could experience newness as we go into the new year. And that's kind of what I'm praying for this morning. I'm praying that we actually go to God's Word and that God Himself does give us some encouragement in the true sense of the Word, that He does give us some perspective and that He does give us some courage so that as we make decisions based on where we're at now, based on going into the new year, that we can experience some newness over the next few days and weeks and even months. And so I'm going to read a few verses from the end of Galatians chapter 6. If you have a Bible here, always great to kind of go there yourself, whether it's turning a page or finding it on your digital device. Um, but, you know, it's there for you to read, it's there for you to highlight, underline, bold. But if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen behind me. But I'm going to read from verse 7 to 9. Galatians 6, verses 7 to 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. 
A man reaps what he sows. Stephen, I don't understand why those are all linked up together in one sentence. Well, we'll get there. All right? The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the spirits from the spirits will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So that's our text for this morning. And what I'm going to do is just very simply walk us back through that text, verse at a time, just kind of playing park rangers. Did you see that? Did you observe that? And hopefully by the end of it, God has really done some heavy lifting in your heart. So let's start again from verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. All right, so if you've studied science, or even if you haven't studied science, there are a whole lot of laws that govern our physical existence. All right, and one of those laws might be a law like gravity. Now, gravity works not because, you know, you believe in it or not. You don't have to believe in gravity to find out that if you jump off the cliff, you're going to come face to face with the bottom. Right, and these laws work whether you're a Christian or not. These are kind of how God made these laws. So if you're a Christian, you can run and jump off the cliff. You're still gonna find out that gravity is a law that is fixed and is in place. And even if you pray and really pray, you can still jump off the cliff and find out that the law of gravity is in place. And what Paul is doing here, Paul, he wrote this letter to a church a number of thousand years ago, inspired by God. He is introducing another law, a law that kind of governs how things work. The way he describes this law is, a man reaps what he sows. Another way we can describe this law is the law of cause and effect, or a law of input equals outputs. A man reaps what he sows. You've got to sow something in order to get something out of that. So one of the ways this might work is you have an exam coming up. So if you put input in, if you sow, in other words, if you study, you're going to get results, right? But if you don't sow, If you don't study, you're not going to get the output. You're not going to be able to reap or harvest anything. All right, and the same is true with your body. And so if you ate kind of cauliflower, rice, and beans and carrots all day, that's what you're sowing, that's your input. You might get an output that looks something like this. Right, and I know why you're laughing, because maybe if you ate deep fried donuts and chips and ribs with extra dipping sauce all day long, then you will get this body as an output from all of that input. But you get what you put in. You cannot come against that law. Some of you have begun to realize that that's how money works. All right, it's called a budget. And you can only get out what you put in. Right, there's no way you can come up against the law. But now Paul starts off the sentence by saying, but do not be deceived. Now, why does he say that? Doesn't this make sense to us? Well, I think the reason why he says, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man sows what he reaps, a reaps what he sows, is because I think for some reason, when we become Christians, we think that that law doesn't work anymore. So maybe you've tried this, either this year or years ago. I'm a Christian now. I've got an exam coming up. I don't need to study. All I need to do is pray. And so you prayed, and did you get the harvest? No, you did not. And let's be honest, who did you blame at that point in time? God. 
and, and we start to ask ourselves these questions. But you know, God is on my side and God does all of these things in my life. And now that I'm a Christian, now all I need to do is pray. I don't have to do anything about it. I don't have to put any input in. And therefore I can expect huge results even though there are no, there's no sowing, there is no inputs. And yet Paul is saying, but God has put this law in place. This is how things work. And then he goes on in verse eight to apply it in our lives in a number of ways. He says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature or his flesh, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the spirits, from the spirits will reap eternal life. So if you had to look at all the things that you're doing in your life to sow, all the inputs in your life, you should start to see some corresponding results. So where you are right now is gonna be a direct result as to the, th- the areas and the ways that you have sown into your life. And so if you're sowing in your flesh and it's not always kind of sinful things, but let's say you are investing time, you're investing money, you're investing resources and media into your flesh, what are you gonna get? You're gonna get results in the flesh. And some of those are gonna be catastrophic results because of what you decided to put in. The law of sowing and reaping, cause and effect, input and output is gonna kick into gear and you've got no one to blame but yourself for those results. And so maybe, maybe in maybe less catastrophic ways, you've, you've sown into your business or, or you've sown into your marriage or you've sown into your health or you've sown into your appearance. And what that means is you spent time, you spent money, you spent energy and resources and attention on these things. And maybe you're starting to see some results and you're like, yes. But maybe on the other hand, there are other areas of your life that are not doing well. And, and I'll be the first to say that that. The world is tricky, life is tricky, but this verse is getting us to consider that maybe one of the reasons I'm not getting the results I want is because there's been no inputs, there's been no sowing. And maybe, I'm just throwing this out there, I think the verse is throwing this out there. Maybe the reason you're not seeing the kinds of results you want in your marriage is because there hasn't been any inputs. Maybe the, 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 the reason for the lack of results in your sort of your own world in terms of just your experience of, of peace and fulfillment is because you haven't been doing the kinds of things that the Bible teaches us that require some sense of input in order to get these things out. And so maybe, uh, maybe you prayed a prayer, sure, but maybe that's where it started and that's where it stopped. And Paul goes on to say that in the same way that that is true in the flesh and in this real world, it is equally true in the spirits. And so if you had to take an honest, hard assessment of your spiritual life, where are you at? And and I just want to warn you, just don't compare yourself to other people. Oh, I pray more than that person. I, 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 I read the Bible more than my husband. All right, sometimes that bar is very, very low, right? All right, I'm not as bad as that person over there. But no, if you're just really prayerfully honest before God and you kind of know where you should be, but you're not. God, again, is just getting us to consider maybe, maybe one of those reasons is because we put input in other things in our life, 
but we have an input into our spiritual life. And the way he describes this is by sowing into the Spirit. Well, what does it mean to sow into the Spirit? It sounds like kind of such a weird, nebulous concept. Well, it's very simple. It says you're the one who sows to please the Spirit. So putting an input into your spiritual life, sowing to please the Spirit, simply means doing the things that please God. Now, there are, we, we preach every Sunday things, ideas for you to do to please God. It's not only, but it is going to include, it's not only going to come down to, to kind of reading the Bible and praying. It's going to be about submitting your marriage to God. It's going to be about submitting your daily walk to God. It's going to be submitting just how you carry yourself, your character, all of those things to God. And the more you live to please God, those are like tiny little seeds of input that are going to help develop you for where you want to be spiritually. And Paul says this law applies here too. Now, maybe at this point, some of you might push back saying, but but Stephen, this sounds very works-based. I thought being a Christian was all about, here's what God has done. All I need to do is ride the wave of what God has done. And so He's gonna give me grace. And all I need to do is kind of, you know, sit pretty and let the grace do the heavy lifting in my life. Well, something that that's, we don't preach on all the time, but something that has come up regularly here at Riverside is this idea that there is not and there should not be some kind of discrepancy between our faith and our works. In fact, the Bible argues very powerfully that if we believe in certain things, this ought to affect what we do. In fact, the Bible would go as far as to say, faith isn't simply what you believe in and then you've got works. Faith is the works that come out of what you believe in. That is faith. In other words, if I believe that God is doing certain things in my life, I need to respond by obeying and by doing. And this verse would call that sowing, by living to please God. Jesus actually taught this. He tells a famous parable known as the parable of the talents. I'm not going to read it. It's just going to kind of quickly narrate through it where he tells about a master, the master being him. And the master wants to go away for a long time. And so he takes his three top servants and he, he gives them some resources to manage. They called talents. A talent was a huge amount of money. And so he takes one servant, he gives him five talents. He takes another servant, gives him two. And he takes a third servant and gives him one. So even the servants with the one had a ton of money. Just quick question. Whose resources were those talents? Who did they belong to? The master, all right? But these were entrusted into the hands of the servants. And I'm going to Illustrate that a bit later on. So those scriptures say that the one who was given the five, he said he, at once he went and he put them to work. Then he produced another five. The one who was given two went at once and put them to work. The one who was given one, he was afraid for whatever reason of the master and he buried the talent. So the master comes back. He has a bit of a audit and he says, okay, what's been going on here? The one who was given the five has the other five, gives the master 10. And the master says, well done. Then the one who was given two shows the other two, gives the master four, and the, the master is so pleased. The one who was only given one and buried it, the master's response to him was, you wicked and lazy servants. And he takes those resources away and he gives them. In other words, he increases the ability of those who had been faithful. And what that parable teaches us is that when God gives 
and we know that God gives lavishly and when he, he gives us grace and He gives us His spirits and He gives us His strength and He gives us the breath in our lungs and He gives us our abilities, He gives us our emotional abilities, He gives us people and opportunities in our life. A good steward means recognizing God. Here's what you've given me, but at once I'm gonna go and put them to work. And that is described as faith. And another way of describing that is, that work is living to please the spirits. Sowing and therefore we can start to experience some reaping, some harvesting and the kinds of results that we want in our lives. Then we get to verse nine, where I think Paul starts to realize, and this is where I really wanted to get to this morning with us as a church is that maybe you feel like you've been doing that. I have been sowing. Stephen, you're preaching to the choir. I have been doing everything I can in my power to honor God and, and worship Him in all areas of my life. And I'm still not seeing the kinds of results that I want. And this is the verse that I hope gives you great courage. God says to us, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Can you start to see there's a bit of a pattern emerging where Paul starts to equate sowing in the Spirit with sowing to please God, doing the things that please God and doing good. In other words, this isn't not just some general sense of doing good things, but sowing into the Spirit, doing things that please God is the doing good he's speaking about. And he said, do not grow weary in doing good. Yet, some of us here this morning are weary of doing good, right? I'm not gonna ask you to stick your hand up. But you know if it's you. And I think, as I think about it, just I'm gonna throw out a handful of reasons as to why maybe you are weary of doing good and how God can speak into that as we go on later towards the end of the message. And the first reason is this, is maybe you've signed up for more than God signed up for you. Maybe you've signed up for more than God signed up for you. I don't, I don't often do this because usually people are on the opposite side of things. But sometimes people come to me and they say, Stephen, here's what's going on in my life and here's what's going on in marriage and in family and work and, and the church. And sometimes I need to sit people down and say, listen, as Larry Osborne, one of my favorite church leaders says, he says, yes, there's so much to do in the kingdom, but not everything has your name on it. And maybe you need to look at your plates. And maybe you need to prayerfully with your husband or with your wife or with some counsel, just sit down and, and see what doesn't have your name on it and take it off. Which requires great courage. Something that we talk about a lot as leadership is it's so easy to say no to bad things in our lives. But it's very difficult to say no to good things in order that we can say yes to better things. And that's why this exercise is so hard, but maybe some of you, what you need to do is you need to draw a chart or take out an Excel spreadsheet or go have some lunch with someone you trust or your husband or your wife and start talking about marriage and life and family and work and am I resting, which we're gonna get to now and what's going on in the kingdom and really ask the hard questions which may require you saying no to some good things, but they're not you things. 
So maybe you've signed up for more than God signed you up for. The second reason may be that you're not resting. Now, we live in Johannesburg, which is an absolutely awesome city, but it's also a beast. And it chews us up and spits us out on the other side. And it makes us believe that the harder you work, all you need to do is work harder, 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 harder. And that is a virtue. Now, that may be true in in certain areas, but it is definitely not true from a kingdom perspective. Now, on, on one hand, some of us do need to learn the value of hard work. But on the other hand, some of us need to learn the value of rest. John Piper said that sometimes the most holy thing you can do is have a good night's sleep. And again, this is the way God created us. I mean, I'm just seeing Nature, he's a doctor and he can tell you all the wonderful things that happen to your brain and your body when you get a good night's sleep, Lee. <laughs> Sorry, big yawn happening in the front here. God created it this way. You can fight it and you're gonna come up against the wall that you need rest. Now, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why God instituted a Sabbath is to train us to rest. Do you know that when the Israelites were given a Sabbath thousands of years ago, they were the only nation to have anything like that. We've gotten quite accustomed to two-day weekends and we think that's pretty normal. But back then, it's revolutionary. But God says, I want you to stop working for a day. And I want you to find rest in me again. And I, I want you to reorientate your lives around me. And so he gave us this Sabbath, not to be legalistic about. But as Jesus said, God gave the Sabbath to man. Man was not created for the Sabbath. It's a gift to you. Now, I don't have time to get into the whole theology of the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is not simply sleeping in late, uh, watching Netflix all day and lying on the pool all day. It's actually meant to reorientate your life rhythmically around who God is. To recognize and remind yourself, He is the one, as we've sung this morning, He is the one who is in control of the universe. You are not. And for you to be at peace that, wow, I need to trust God for this day. I need to trust God that He is going to provide for me even though today I am resting. Think about the Israelites with the manna and the desert. For six days, work and gather food. But on the seventh day, do not do that and trust that God will give you enough the day before to sustain you. And so on the Sabbath, we choose to reorientate our lives around Him We put him back at the center. We we worship him. We honor him. And then we engage our week with the perspective of God is in control. And hopefully that provides some measure of peace in your life. And so maybe you're weary because you're not resting. Maybe, and we've kind of spoken about this this morning already, but maybe your output exceeds your inputs. And much like a budget, you know that you cannot sustain a financial budget where your output is bigger than your input. Doesn't matter how much you pray. Doesn't matter how much you fast unless your fasting dramatically reduces your grocery budget. You're gonna come up against the truth that your output cannot exceed your inputs. 
But the same is true with all parts of our lives. The same is true with your marriage. I want this wonderful marriage. I want my wife to love me and respect me and I want her to feel loved and respected. But you don't do anything to invest in your marriage. You're expecting way more out than you're putting in. Now, somehow again, when Paul starts off by saying, do not be deceived, I think sometimes we think that the rule becomes different when we're Christians and when we come to spiritual input and output. Because, you know, we've got God on our side. And I want these huge spiritual results in my life. But there is no input. Or sometimes in the spiritual world, and we can become so caught up in doing so much for God, but we are not receiving the grace we need. We're not receiving the strength we need. We're not abiding with the Father who gives us all that we need. We're expecting huge results, and we're actually burning ourselves out. And sometimes because it's too much on this end, we've spoken about that, but sometimes it's because there's not enough on this end. The fourth reason why we might be just weary from doing good and working in these areas of our lives is because maybe there's a lack of visible harvests. Now, I haven't done much farming. I know Craig and his family have really started to come to terms with what it means to be a farmer. But if you can just imagine, maybe you've had a veggie patch or you have some flowers that you try and grow every year. But imagine how discouraging it would be if you sow a whole lot of seed, you get to the season where you should be harvesting and there's nothing to show. And then you do the same next year. You sow a whole lot of seed, you get to the time of harvest, there's some plants, but you don't have the flowers or the fruits or the vegetables that you want. And then you, that's kind of year in, year out. You're sowing, sowing, sowing. You're not seeing the harvest. That must be so discouraging. And maybe that's you. Maybe you have been sowing. You have been abiding. You have been coming to the Lord for strength and input. And you have been doing what it takes to affect change in your marriage. And you go to these parts of your lives and you're not seeing the kind of harvest you've been waiting for. You've been praying for your child. You've been praying for your parents. You've been praying for a job. And you go and you look this side and there's still nothing there. And you're weary and you're tired of sowing and doing good. And that can be discouraging. In fact, you would not be human if that wasn't discouraging. Just by the way, before I move on to the fifth and final point, just just real moment of, of honesty here is that when we do get to these points of I'm weary, I'm tired, what tends to be the first area of our lives that we cut? Again, not asking for any hands here. It's a spiritual side. So we're tight financially. What is the first part of our budget we cut? Our tithing and our giving and our generosity, right? And, and when we're tight with time, what's the first part of our time budget we cut? Well, it's our participation in, in church and it's our, our serving and, and our generous giving in terms of how we participate in the body and how we invest into the kingdom with our energy and our resources, And I think Paul would say when he starts talking about harvesting and reaping and and sowing, he would say that's a very short-term perspective. Because when you start talking about results, and we're going to talk about results in a second, it's not just about achieving results this side of heaven. 
And we may, and, and there are some promises we're going to hold on to this morning, but also there's going to be a reward that is going to dramatically outsize any pain and effort this side of heaven, that we are going to receive that side of heaven. And if we're always sacrificing, sowing into the kingdom, sowing to please God, sowing to please the Spirit, so that we can please the flesh, yes, we may get some results this side of heaven. But Paul's saying you're being dramatically short-sighted. And so the fifth area of our lives that might be just wearing us down is maybe you're sowing, but maybe there's just a lot of evil. And to go back to the farming analogy, we used to try and grow veggies in our garden. We just kind of left it to sturdy herbs, all right, because it became a lot of work. It wasn't just about growing vegetables. In fact, you might know, and Craig would tell us, that you actually spend a lot more time dealing with the evil in your garden dealing with bugs and dealing with weeds and kukuya grass and dealing with birds and disease. And maybe that kind of feels that like that's what life has been like for you. You've been sowing and sowing and doing all these good things and you're looking for results, but you spend far more time dealing with opposition. You spend far more time dealing with evil. You spend far more time just seeing how the birds come in and the weeds and the disease come in and take your harvest away. And because we live in a fallen, evil world, you're like, is this even worth it? So if you're feeling weary this morning, you're in good company. But I also believe that this passage this morning gives us the antidote for our weariness. It gives us a fresh perspective and a fresh encouragement. And it comes in the form of two promises that I'm just going to quickly look at as we start wrapping up this morning. And the first promise comes out of verse 8. But God says to us, the one who sows to please the Spirit, in other words, living lives to please God, from the Spirit will, will reap eternal life. Now again, that's not a works-based righteousness that if I do the right things, God is pleased with me and will give me heaven. What this verse is more implying is that when I live a life that pleases God, when I live a life that sows into the Spirit where I'm abiding with Him and I'm seeking His will in all things and I act in faith according to what He shows me, the Spirit gives me a unique quality of life that nothing else can give you. Jesus described it as streams of living water. Anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. There is no thing in this world that's a substitute for the kind of life that God can give you to sustain you into this world of doing good deeds in spite of all the challenges. So that's the first promise. From the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. Second promise comes out of the next verse. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Now notice there's no timeline on there. Some of you may know the famous theologian, St. Augustine. He was an extremely immoral man, but intelligence, but also kind of sleeping around and doing all that kind of stuff. And uh, his mother became a Christian. Her name was Monica. And she started praying for Augustine. Now we know Augustine as the, as the saint, as the guy who came with all this rich theology. But it was for 15 years that his mother prayed for his salvation. 
There's no timeline to this. I don't know when, I don't know why. I don't know why sometimes God holds the harvest back. I don't know why God sometimes allows the bugs and the disease and the the weather and the birds to come in and take away some of the produce that comes as a result of of our good works. I don't know why. But this verse says, at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. And I believe that is true of this life and the next, even more so. The only time a timeline enters into this, it's in here, is if you give up. Is if you give up. You're creating your own timeline. And so it is somehow in faith that we plant seeds in obedience. Stories is coming to me now. I can't, I can't remember the, the details of this, but it was about a missionary who went into a place, a very like rural, basic place, tribal place where um, the people had never heard the gospel. And he, he tried to preach the gospel. He tried to live out the gospel and eventually he died. And as far as he knew, there was no visible fruit. But then the missionary society sent in some new people to replace him. And they came in there and immediately these people started preaching the gospel and these guys started coming to faith. And as they spoke about Jesus and as they started looking at this fruit and these results, these missionaries were asking the questions, why are we seeing such bountiful harvests? And these tribesmen were able to say, you know this Jesus you spoke about? Well, He was living amongst us just a few years ago. And it is this eternal perspective that we need to trust. I know we pray for something on Monday, we want it done by Wednesday. And I'm like that too, by the way. And it's these kind of verses that give me courage and perspective. These are promises for us. And so just before we pray, I don't know if God's taken any one of these points and just kind of put His finger on it and connected it to you and said, here's just something for you to think about. Here's something for you to pray. Here's something for you to evaluate. Maybe God's really opened up your eyes to some realities that you've been trying to ignore. And God is just wanting you to invest into what He's saying to you this morning. So that would be my first step of advice. If God is speaking as He always does, don't just drop it here. Oh, I went to church, done. No. Invest in what He's doing. Journal, think, pray, talk. And see how God takes the seeds and works it out in your life. Maybe you're still like, Stephen, I still don't have answers. Nothing you've said really feels like it explains my situation. And as I said earlier, man, evil in a broken and fallen world is complex. I don't always understand it. But I want to invite us to respond in prayer this morning. And I'm just going to tell you the three points I'm going to ask us to do in our CT in prayer, and then we're going to do it. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is that if you're weary, just tell Jesus. Jesus says, well, Paul says, cast your burdens upon Him for He cares for you. Man, the weariness you're experiencing right now, He cares for you. So tell Him, cast your burdens upon His broad shoulders. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is just to describe to Him in fresh prayer. Maybe you've been so afraid to ask again because of your disappointment. What is it you've been trusting Him for? What have you been sowing and and you've been trusting God for fruit and for a harvest? And the third one is this. I'm going to ask you, we're going to look at these promises in these verses. I'm just going to take a long, hard look at those promises. 
So let us pray. Father, we thank you that your word says that if we are weary, we can come to you, your burden is light. If anything, Jesus, you're the one who bore our burden. Jesus, we thank you that we can cast our burdens upon you for you care about us. You didn't just give us the the heaven card and get back to more important things. You still care about us. You care about what's wearing us down. And I wanna give you a few minutes just to reflect to God. If you're weary, tell Him. Maybe He's giving you some insight. Here's why I'm weary. Here's why I'm struggling. Here's why I'm running low on faith. But I'm weary. Thank you, God, that you hear us. Father God, thank you that when you teach us to pray, you teach us to come to you and ask. You teach us to come to you and seek. You teach us to knock on your door. And you tell us that we will receive and the door will be opened up to us. You teach us perseverance. And I want to encourage you guys this morning just to, with fresh faith, and even if it been months since you've dared to ask God just what is it you've been trusting Him for as you've been sowing, as you've been praying, as you've been laboring you haven't seen the results you've wanted but just ask as we pray we do this in faith meaning we trust you we trust you with our requests we trust you with our pain and our weariness we trust you with our hopes we trust you with the fruits and the harvest we trust you with the timing because you're a good father and finally let us just together hold on to God's promises And so if we could have those verses on the screen, that we just see those words, we imprint them into our hearts and our minds. Maybe you want to memorize them or go home and memorize them. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Father, we thank You that this is a promise. We will reap eternal life. We will reap the life of the Spirit, the quality of life that You and You alone give. that is there to sustain us and to encourage us as we as we labor and we thank you that we can also hold on to this truth for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up so church don't give up don't give up for at the right time you will reap a harvest And Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of the harvest. And you're in the business of fruit making. And you take our efforts, which can seem so finite and so fragile, 
Just like you turn water into wine, you take and, and fish and bread and you feed thousands. You somehow take what we give and you apply your wisdom and your power and your grace and you do remarkable things. So we trust you. So Holy Spirit, encourage us. We thank you that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. We thank you that in Christ we've been blessed in the spiritual realms in every way. And so God, would you continue to give as you give. You are a giver. And give us courage and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.